Well, if you would, turn to Acts chapter 15. As you do, I want to thank Tom Crago and Michael Venter for co-teaching, and we're on this rotation, so I appreciate that. And we've looked at Paul's first missionary journey, and the title of the series is Turning the World Upside Down, and that's literally what happens, and we're going to see that again in the second missionary journey, which is where we are today. So if you would, Acts 15, we're starting at verse 36. Now, you're saying, well, wait a minute, we were in 14, and now we're jumping to the latter part of 15. Yes, in between there is the Jerusalem Council. Paul finishes his first missionary journey, goes to Jerusalem to report that Gentiles are getting saved, and that short circuits. Remember, the the early church in Acts 2 and 4, early parts of Acts, is 100% Jewish. It's Gentiles that are, as the, the gospel goes forward, uh, that's when Gentiles are brought in, and, and that creates a bit of a consternation, doesn't it, for the Jews? Because there were certain expectations. If you joined Judaism, these are the things you would do. And so what do we do now? And they concluded, in fact, it maybe helps to see this. They wrote a letter, and if you look at 1527, it says, Therefore we are sending Judas and Silas, who will tell you these things, to them, these things themselves in person, For it seemed best to us by the Holy Spirit not to place any greater burden on you. Circumcision, it's not required. If you were converting to Judaism prior to this, yes, it would be, right? And then notice what they require, that you abstain from meat that has been sacrificed to idols. And it is such an abomination to a Jew, they just said, we ask that you abstain. Secondly, no blood pudding, right? You cannot have blood from that which has been strangled. And you are to refrain from sexual immorality. And I wish we had time to discuss that further because that seems to go without saying. But in a pagan world, all of these practices are saying, listen, these are the things you need to abstain from because this is uh, identification with following Christ. But it also, if you do these things, you're going to create serious problems for the Jewish community. And so we just ask that you abstain. So that occurs, the Jerusalem Council, in verse 36, then we come to the second missionary journey. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers in every town where we proclaim the word of the Lord to see how they are doing. Remember, they covered 900 miles on that first missionary journey. This is pre-motor engines, right? And Barnabas wanted to bring John, called Mark, along with them. But Paul insisted that they should not take this one who had left them in Pamphylia and had not accompanied them in the work. And they had a sharp disagreement. So that they parted company, Barnabas took along Mark and sailed away to Cyprus. But Saul chose Silas. You just saw him mentioned. He appears first in the early part of 15. We don't know much about him other than he seems to be a prominent leader in the early church. We also suspect he had Roman citizenship, which is seen later in Acts. Had set out, commended to the, by the grace of the Lord, by the brothers and sisters, he passed through Syria and Sicily, strengthening the churches. So let's look at our notes. In fact, you've got a map there. And this is not working again. Oh, it does not like St. Patrick's Day. Here we go. Let's look at this map. In the red is the first missionary journey. Remember, they left Antioch, which is modern 
well, Syria, Turkey, it's right on the border. And they leave for Cyprus, and then they go into the region of modern Turkey, which is this Pamphylia, Galatia area, and then they, went, they go on back. Now, they return, as you can see, but this time we don't go to Cyprus. That's Barnabas. We'll head this way. Instead, this time we head north, and they will travel by land, by foot. And as we're going to see, we'll, we'll be, this will be the first time the gospel goes into to Europe uh, by Paul. He'll take the message into modern Greece, hits this area, and then goes back through all the way down and avoids. <laughs> he does not hit Cyprus. He goes on straight back to, as you can see, back to Jerusalem. If you want to try it, that'd be great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Nate. Appreciate all that Nate does for us. As you can see in your notes, unlike the first missionary journey, which entailed uh, 900 miles, as you can see in your notes, now we're going to cover over 2,000 miles, and it'll take us two years to do this. Isn't that amazing? Uh, you know, here's the Apostle Paul, and you just think about all that he encounters in those two years, which we're going to be looking at. Oh, aren't you good? All right. Thank you so much. That's why they pay you the big bucks. So anyway, uh, which is nothing. Yeah. Uh, and so again, you can see this track that we're going to follow. Uh, we're going to move through Galatia, which is a region, Phrygia. You're going to come over to Myasia. We'll talk about this. And then over into Greece. Again, 2,100 miles. Yes. Kyle. Yes, all of the, in fact, the Romans, I wish I, I have a map, I need to, to bring it next time, an overlay of all the Roman roads that are through here. Uh, it's not a coincidence he picks the cities that he does, Paul does. Most of the cities he's picking has a very strong Jewish presence. It's a central hub, and it's right on the road. <laughs> and so, in fact, when we get over to here, even today, if you go from Neapolis to Philippi, you can walk a section of the, the Appian Road, the, excuse me, the Via Ignatia Road. It's still there. It's amazing. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> this isn't backward bumpkins. There's another thing that maybe is helpful as you look at this and you, you see these cities. Many of these cities are prominent in the Roman Empire. They'll have status. Philippi, which you're going to study next time we come together. I think that's Michael, uh, which is one of my favorite spots to visit. It was, a, <clears throat> it was a veteran colony. If you'd served in the Roman Empire, you received a free parcel of land. You were exempted from certain taxes. And, and one of those locations was Philippi. What Rome was doing was creating buffer zones. So if armies invaded, they'd have to hit these cities first before they got to Italy. Um, it's a little bit like the Jewish settlements in Israel. Those are, some of those are created as buffer zones. You keep extending it further. So they would extend it to Ephesus. They extended it to Antioch, over to this Antioch. And so it kept, uh, you know, what better than to have a, a city built with of people who'd served in the military, <laughs> right? A great buffer zone. And so as Paul moves, you're going to see this. <clears throat> and, and his Roman citizenship, which is unique, He's going to flash that trump card a few times along the way, doesn't he? Philippi is one of them. And so we'll talk about that as we move along. But let's, let's jump back now to where we are here. And again, as we see, uh, we have this uh, splitting of hairs, don't we? Uh, in the text, we can see Barnabas wants to take Mark and... I even mentioned this in your notes. Remember, they're related. <laughs> there, there's a bloodline here. 
so Barnabas is willing to extend a little more grace to John Mark because, you know, yeah, he, he left and deserted us. Paul will have nothing to do with it. He will not tolerate desertion. <laughs> He's not going to partner with Mark again. I'm not going to have that happen to me again. And so you see this falling out. Keener in his commentary, and I have the quote there in your notes under that large paragraph. He says, when partners differ over which absolute values take priority, in this case, loyalty or forgiveness on the one hand and expectation of wholehearted commitment on the other, conflict appears inevitable. And that's where we are. And this isn't just a slight disagreement. The text is clear, and I mentioned there in your notes, the Greek indicates it, it, it's one which entails anger. Paul is hot to trot. I, I would not want to have messed with Paul. <laughs> uh, you know, and uh, he, he's not going to tolerate it. He's already sacrificed much for the cause of Christ. He's not going to take someone who's half-hearted. That's how he uses John Mark. And so you have this huge splitting uh, between these, these two prominent leaders, Barnabas and Paul. And the good news is, and I have this at the bottom of your notes, because we think, well, this is awful. You know, this is the early church, and yet they can't get along. Yet later on, we see Paul reaching out to John Mark. And you see that there in your notes. He'll call him a fellow worker and commends Barnabas. So yes, there's a bit of a falling out over uh, John Mark and what to do with him, but there is a restoration. Uh, all right, and we'll move along. In top of page two of your notes in verses 40 and 41, again, we mentioned Silas and his role in the early church. And it does appear, as I mentioned, that he has Roman citizenship. And so what Paul and <clears throat> Silas will do is they're going to, as I said, travel by foot. They'll go through the Tarsus Mountains. They're going to go to Cilicia first, which, if you remember, is Paul's hometown. Uh, he returned and spent some time there. Tarsus is his hometown. And again, Paul also has Roman citizenship. Keep that in mind, because next time we meet, two weeks from now, that will become a key issue at Philippi. Again, they will use that uh, to their ends, well, I should say for the church, for the cause of Christ. And the text tells us in verse 41, they pass through this region, strengthening the churches, which tells us, <clears throat> yes, there's an evangelistic component to Paul's mission endeavors, but there's also discipleship. And remember, we, we've got a lot of new converts, and they need to, to be trained, they need to be equipped, and we see Paul doing that in what we call the pastoral epistles, first and second, Timothy and Titus, and he refers to the traditions they've been taught and how to continue that. Well, let's look at 16, <clears throat> starting in verse 1. It says, he also came to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple named Timothy was there. So this is his hometown. <clears throat> this is one of the few places I've not been able to get to, which was very disappointing in my time in Turkey. Uh, the, we were on a bus tour and, uh, with students, and the, the bus driver drove right on by. I'd fallen asleep. I said, wait a minute, where's Derby? He said, well, we passed it. I'm like, oh. So uh, anyway, uh, I, I can't tell you how Derby was, um, but uh, nonetheless, uh, the text tells us that he's from, Timothy is from this area. Now, notice what it says. He's the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer <clears throat> so most likely, Paul led the mother and Timothy to the Lord, or they became believers during Paul's first missionary journey. Because remember, we're retracing our steps at this point. But whose father was a Greek. 
The brothers in Lystria and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the towns, they passed on the decrees that had been decided on by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So there's the Jerusalem council. They're delivering this letter for the Gentile believers to obey. And so the churches were being strengthened in the faith and watch this and were increasing in number, not weekly, but every day, which is, you just see God's grace and hand upon this missionary endeavor. Yep. Yes. <laughs> we're, great question. I know where you're headed. Uh, we, give me a second and we'll get to that because that that's the million dollar question here. Why in the world would he have Timothy, uh, you know, be circumcised? And you can imagine this kid isn't eight days old. <laughs> Ouch. All right. Well, we'll get there in a minute. <clears throat> uh, but first of all, tell me what you know about Timothy later in the New Testament. Let's just make a list because I want to show you something here. Help me out. We'll pull this out of the way from the speaker. What do we know? <clears throat> well, he, he is an overseer of pastors. We could put that. Um, if you remember, he's given the responsibility of appointing uh, leaders in the local churches. In fact, which church is he assigned to? Paul hands him the baton. He gives him the mothership. What is it? Ephesus. <laughs> it's like the Moody Church. I mean, you, I mean, you couldn't ask. He, he gets Ephesus. Titus gets Crete. Still a nice place, but I mean, Ephesus? Wow. Yeah. Definitely young. We're, we even know his mom's and his grandma's names, right? They're listed. Well... <laughs> That's hilarious. Maybe it's from being circumcised at a later date. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to put that down. That's hilarious. <laughs> I never thought about it. That's great. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Interracial uh, marriage with his uh, parents. Would appear to be he's a third generation believer. Yeah. Uh, third generation. Anything else we know about him? Writer of Hebrews tells us something in chapter 13. We know he was imprisoned for the gospel. And according to, to church tradition, he eventually becomes a martyr, just like his doctor father. Like his... Yes. Look what the text says. That's great insight. <clears throat> the text tells us that they all, they knew who he was, right? And it says that they spoke very well of him. So he, he's got a great reputation. We know this. Paul doesn't want any slackers on his team. That's why he left Mark, right? He has very high standards. The bar is high. He's not going to mess around. And he takes this guy. 
So Timothy must have been someone very special. Later, Paul will refer three times in his writings, he'll refer to him as his son. So there is a very close bond that will build over time. Now, I want you to see this with ministry. We're talking about turning the world upside down. Paul was very intentional about discipleship, mentoring, whatever word you want to use, right, in coaching and equipping others. He singled out individuals. And look at his writings. There's folks he would grab by the collar. Timothy and Titus are just two examples of where he pours into their life and equips them. And I challenge you as men in this room, who are you pouring into? Who are you handing the baton to? Life is not getting any shorter, I hate to tell you. (laughs) Uh, And so who are you passing that baton? You say, well, I don't know anyone. Well, then find somebody. Get involved in church. Get involved in a parachurch. And and, and find a couple men to say, you know, not in, I think the best discipleship is organic. You, you don't need to work through necessarily through a particular book. You don't have to go through 12 steps of discipleship. But it's just finding some young man, loving on him, caring for him, building into his life, and, and equipping them to do. I, I love that Luke's here, and we, we have some other young men who, who come. They could, they're gone this week on a basketball tournament. But... I love that. We need these guys that we need to give them opportunities to serve. We need to come alongside. And I'm starting to preach. But we see this with, with Paul, don't we? And it's just, it's just great. Well, notice in your notes, we'll get to the circumcision here in a minute. But in your notes under verses 1 and 2, I mentioned this, that many scholars believe that in the first century, your race was determined by your mother. Uh, where's John? John today in a Jewish society, how does one determine their Jewishness? Is it the father or the mother? <laughs> Thank you. I gave you a trick question. I, I thought I knew that, but I, I just want to see how you'd answer. Yeah, it, it, and some would say that's true in the first century, but most likely it, it appears it was true for the Romans. It was through the mother's line. So... <clears throat> um, if your mother was German, you're German, you know, or if you're Irish, it's Irish. However, intermarriages, and I mentioned this in the middle of that paragraph, were very uncommon among the Jews in the first century. It was uncommon to have a Timothy who has an interracial marriage. That was very taboo in many Jewish quarters. It certainly would have been with Paul. Paul, remember, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. He boasted of, uh, even though he was from Tarsus, I mean, he, he had it all together. Timothy, uh, I mean, uh, this would have been like short-circuiting here on this. And so uh, we see that he has an interracial marriage. But we do note, and this is seen there in your notes, that Timothy most likely had not been raised Jewish. One, he wasn't circumcised. If this was a devout mama, she would have had him, you know, snip, snip. No, we would have had him circumcised. She didn't. What we do know, as you mentioned, someone mentioned this, he's well spoken of by the believers. Uh, That is so significant. In fact, there's a quote. Let me just show you this quote. This is great. Uh, By Hawthorne. I don't know what's wrong with our screen today. Sorry about this. Timothy's response to Paul's training was everything that the apostle could have hoped for. He dedicated himself to learning, grew in the faith, gave his time and energies to evangelism and teaching, and became a trusted and invaluable colleague. And that is so true. But the million-dollar question we have is why? 
Why does Paul have Timothy circumcised? Help us out. Why would he do that? Yes, Charlie. Okay. He doesn't have Titus circumcised. Appropriate time of the... Some would say being circumcised, this is not appropriate. <laughs> yeah, I'm just razzing you. Yeah, okay. Very good. Thank you. I was playing devil's advocate there. Yeah. Uh, Titus was fu fully Greek. Uh, he wasn't Jewish. Timothy was. Yes. No. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 9. If you want to write a text down there, 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, I become all things for the gospel. Now, He's not made, he doesn't compromise his walk with God, but he's stating, you know, if I need to wear a certain garb so I can mingle with the crowd, that's, that's what I will do. Acts 15, we already saw we need to be sensitive to the Jewish community. That was what the Jerusalem council was asking. So it's a way for Paul to say, yeah, we're going to be sensitive to the Jewish customs. Timothy is seen as Jewish. He needs to be circumcised. And then finally, I wrote down here, missionary strategy, it's not a concession. He's not making a concession for the gospel. He's, he's wanting a way to make the gospel most effective. And having Timothy circumcised is not going to hinder the gospel, whereas if he wasn't, it could be a great hindrance, especially as Paul is ministering and sharing the gospel with some very orthodox Jews. I mean, they already have a problem with this, the inter interracial marriage. <laughs> and then that he not be circumcised? That's fingernails across the blackboard. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> I agree with you on the first part. It's, it, it wasn't a doctrinal issue. It is a serious thing, though. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> being circumcised. No, I'm just harassing you. Uh, yes. So don't you love Scripture? It's just it's so, I mean, uh, who makes this up? No one does. It's just giving us the facts of what's happening and, and how Paul is trying to reach a world for Christ. And thank the Lord for Timothy, who's willing to do it. Timothy, good as that, you forget you. I'll, I'll join John Mark. I'm not doing this. Uh, no, he doesn't say that, does he? <clears throat> and he's willing to do so. Thank you. 
Yeah, Romans 2 is great. I mean, the circumcision of the heart is what Paul's after. And again, I don't think he's making a concession to the gospel here. It's, it's so that the gospel can be more effective, or at least the spreading of the gospel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now let's look at verse 6 of 16. It says, They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia and have been prevented by the Holy Spirit. Now watch that, because the Holy Spirit plays a key role in the book of Acts from speaking the message in the province of Asia. This would have been, if we look at a map, <clears throat> we'll move right along here. Uh, he's saying this region here they're not allowed to go to. What's in this region? Ephesus. Paul will go here, but not now. The Holy Spirit says, no, I don't want you going there, nor do I want you to go up into Bithynia. That's this region. These are all uh, provinces within the Roman Empire. So he said, I don't want you to go up to here. That'd be Istanbul that region. Uh, instead, notice what happens here. <clears throat> but the Spirit of Jesus, which speaks of the divinity of Christ, did not follow, allow them to do this. So they passed through Myasia and went down to Troas. Why Troas? It's a huge port city. It's over 100,000 people at the time of Paul. <clears throat> and, and so why Troas? It says, a vision appeared to Paul during the night. A Macedonian man was standing there urging him, come over to Macedonia. Where's Macedonia? That's this region. What's, what's over here? Philippi, Thessaloniki, or Thessalonica. You know, that, that's where we're headed, Berea. Concluding that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. In other words, we're going to Europe. You know, pack your bags. Because that's what we're doing. As he gets to Troas, and by the way, did you see the pronouns? Look at verse 10. After Paul saw the vision, what's the next pronoun? We. That's first person plural. Who, who's writing Acts? Who's our author? Luke, which tells us Luke is now joining the entourage. And this is just like Paul. He's picking up people along the way, training and equipping. By the way, the first missionary journey, Timothy is saved and so is Titus. Titus doesn't join until the third missionary journey. Timothy joins on the second missionary journey. Why? Because Timothy was well-trained by mama and grandma in the scriptures. Titus didn't have that training and equipping. So he needs further training before he can join. That's Hoffman's theory. Uh, I won't go to firing squad for that, but I think that's what's happening. And, and now we have Luke joining. And, and I, I think it's very significant. So let's look at your notes. Uh, I mentioned the we down there. From now on, you're going to see the we as when Dr. Luke has, has joined the group. He's an eyewitness to the things that occurs. He knows what is happening. And again, we talked about the territories there. And the next map shows this Traz being, again, a, a very large port city. Why did Paul want to go to Bithany? <clears throat> Why go north? And as I mentioned in your notes, it was a key region for the Roman Empire. And so it would make sense to go north, but as we know, that's not what the Lord intended. 1 Peter 1.1 is a greeting to the churches, the believers in this region. So we know they eventually got the gospel, but right now Paul's, or the Lord's purpose for Paul is to take him over to Macedonia. Now, there is a question here, of course, as we look at this map, as we move Again, we see from Troas, we're going to arrive at the port city of Nopolis, and then we'll move to Philippi. He will travel by foot. Oh, this is a long ways, by the way, to Athens. <laughs> Even going by bus, it's about seven to eight hours to get to the north up to Philippi. 
uh, from Athens. Uh, he will take a boat and land in Athens. But notice, he will hit Asia. He will get to Ephesus. And Ephesus will become a key uh, spot for the gospel, just as Antioch was. And we'll see more of that as we move through his missionary journeys. But as you look at this, one of the questions is, who is this messenger, this Macedonian man? There are some scholars who argue it's Luke, but the problem there is the we pronoun says we, we sat off from Troas. So I, don't, I can't imagine it being Dr. Luke. Others argue it's Alexander of Macedon. This is Philip, or, um, uh, Philip the Great's son, Alexander the Great. And they argue, well, he was the, the most well-known Macedonian. And that would make sense that he's calling uh, the belief, for Paul to bring the gospel there. I, I just don't buy that. Some argue it's the Philippian jailer. I have problems with that because I don't think he was a Macedonian. I think he was probably most likely Roman. Um, I, some say it's an angel of sorts. I, I, I lean towards number four, and that is it's simply a generic Macedonian. You say, well, how does he know he's a Macedonian? Well, Trust me, after living three years in well in Scotland uh, abroad, but uh, you'd see, in, especially in Aberdeen, uh, way up north, you did not have American tourists. And so when they did come through, you're going, oh, there goes an American tourist. You could just tell. They had the tennis shoes, the white socks. They just, they didn't blend it. I mean, you could just tell. They didn't look like anyone else. And I, I think that's the case here, that this Macedonian has a particular garb, et cetera, that go, ah. He's a Macedonian. I don't know. That's, it's hard to know. But certainly, I don't see it as Luke. And that, that is a common position held by some, by many. Uh, second thing that we note is that the message is clear. We need help. Notice what the text says. Was standing there urging him, Paul, come over to Macedonia and help us. Uh, the Holy Spirit is using this to bring Paul to a region which will be fertile for the gospel. Uh, we'll see uh, the God-fears at Philippi. We'll see the synagogue at Berea and Thessaloniki. We'll, we'll see how Paul at Mars Hill delivers the gospel uh, to a world that's very secular. It's, uh, and yet, in all of those locations, there's a huge response to the gospel. And finally, the deliverance of the message is, that was given was via a vision that Paul receives. Any question on those verses 6 through 10? Again, we're packing our bags. Our passports are ready. We're going to Europe. And, and Paul is about to head out. So pretty exciting stuff. Well, what do we do with that? Thank you for the history lesson and the geographical uh, dialogue. But what, what does that mean for us? Let me give you three things to Hang on your beak today. First of all, not every issue is a battle with, worth choosing over uh, when it comes to the gospel and ethnic unity of the church. Those who are truly godly possess discernment and wisdom in their midst of confrontation. 1 Corinthians 9, again, all those for the gospel, or all of these things I do for the gospel, Paul states. Now, again, we're not talking about doctrinal issues. That's a whole different matter. In fact, if you want a, a fun exercise on the next page for further thought this week, you can answer the question that is there, what battles are worth fighting uh, within the church and how you to determine when it's time to confront. So that's the question you can ask uh, and answer on your own. 
uh, maybe write a book so we'll all know what to do. But uh, this issue is being just very careful that we walk in unity. And as Mark, as you highlighted, it wasn't what the Lord had intended, but the Lord still used it. And we're thankful for that. So uh, second thing here in your notes is an effective minister of the gospel is sensitive to the Lord's leading. Can you imagine if Paul did not go and follow the Macedonian Christ? They know I'm going to Bethany, Bethania. That's where I'm headed. Or I'm going to Asia. No, 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 no. And a faithful believer listens and then obeys, which means that we need to be sensitive to the Lord's leading, which means we're in prayer, we're in the word, we're in seeking godly counsel, right? All of those things. An elderly professor once told me, and he's right, the Lord wants you to do his will more than you do. So think about that and the implications of that. The Lord wants you to do his will more than you do. And Paul is willing to serve, he's willing to go, and the Lord uses that in a mighty way. Paul wasn't someone super Christian. He wasn't some super saint. He was just a believer like you and me who's willing to, to go and to, be, to serve the Lord. Yes, he had his talents and abilities, but uh, nonetheless, he's still human. Read, read uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 1. <laughs> he struggled. He had his difficult times. And then finally, one more to, to give this morning as we close. We can rejoice in the fact that the Lord Jesus used mere mortals for the deliverance of his glorious message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, as you look at this parting of ways between Barnabas and Paul, it's, it's a reminder no person is perfect, no ministry is perfect, no church is perfect, and yet God seen fit to glorify them. What I do love is at least Scripture never records uh, Barnabas doesn't go on a diatribe about how awful Paul was. Uh, he doesn't lick his wounds. And Paul, we don't see him speaking ill of Barnabas, which was great. They go forward. They march to what God has called them to do. And it's a good reminder for all of us, isn't it? Um, I meet folks who uh, are deeply hurt because of a church situation or a ministry they've walked through. In fact, I called a, a fellow who came highly recommended. My colleague said he's the best youth pastor he has ever seen. And he said, unfortunately, there was a falling out of the church and he's not in ministry at the moment. So I called him and I said, hey, would you even remotely consider serving as a youth pastor if we had availability? And he said, absolutely not. He said, my wife and I are so hurt for ministry. We want nothing to do with it. I will never be on staff again. And I'm hearing this, my heart's just breaking. It's that Satan has just got a hold of this guy. And he's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And trust me, uh, my wife and I have walked through deep waters, deep hurts for ministry. And there's a time to form that fetal position and, and lick the wounds, but it's time to move forward, right? There's some great books, and I have this there on your notes on page four, because I, I, I've met some folks even, maybe not in this group, but around this area who's saying, I'm really hurting from, from, from a particular church or particular thing that happened to me. And I've just given you a couple of titles. One is Ron's work in Ross on recovering from churches that abuse. <laughs> and there are. Uh, we do a very good job of eating our own. And another one is Chuck Swindoll's Grace Awakening, which is just a, it's, it's just a refreshing book. So those are just a couple that you might want to explore on your own if if you're saying, yeah, I'm hurting.
The Lord used Paul. He used Barnabas. Neither were perfect. <laughs> and Paul will tell you that later. In fact, he says, I'm the worst of sinners by the time he gets done with his ministry. So neither were perfect. No church was perfect. I love these signs that say I'm a first century church. I want to go, yeah, like Corinth? <laughs> What's that mean? Uh, there, there was some pretty bad first, first century churches, all right? And yet the Lord used all of them, and he, can, he uses us. And I, I marvel at his grace. So several things to be challenged with this day as we, we talk about what does it mean to turn the world upside down? Uh, there's several great nuggets nestled in the latter part of 15, going into 16. Next time we meet, which is two weeks from now, I think, Michael, you're on deck? Great. Uh, it's Philippi. It's one of my favorite texts. Uh, so uh, he had to pry that from my fingers. Uh, I said, no, I like that text. I like this one too. But 16 is just awesome as we move into Philippi. And, and you're going to see Paul really, he's quite clever. And I just love it as he, he throws out that, that Roman citizenship. Yep. Yeah, we didn't have a sharp enough one that we separated ways. So yes, because he still handles the youth, so I'm not about to tick him off too much. So yes, Tom Flynn, should I close in prayer? And then you want to, all right. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace in our lives. Uh, that is certainly seen even in, uh, in Acts as we look at Barnabas and Paul separating. Uh, Lord, and thank you for both of these men. Thank you that they joined forces again later as they commend one another. And thank you for Paul's leadership, sensitivity to your leading, his desire to equip the next generation. And these are challenges for us in the day in which we live. Lord, be with these men today. Guide them. For some, are going straight from here to work. For others, uh, it might be uh, further interaction with one another. Just guide and direct and thank you that you, O oh Lord, are the supreme one. And we just pray, Lord, come quickly. Send your son. Uh, Lord, we long for the day when uh, we are in your presence. Until then, may we be found faithful in Jesus' name. Amen.